do this because a hundred years from now, the church needs to be powerful and impossible to ignore. The church needs to be undeniable in our city of Los Angeles. There are just too many people who come here so gifted, so talented, so fragile. And I'm telling you, Los Angeles needs what we have to offer. And we need to let our city know we're not going anywhere. We're here to stay. So we've been journeying together through the way of the warrior and each week unwrapping one code after another. And tonight we get to code seven. The warrior becomes one with all things. When I wrote those words, I felt a little bit unnerved. I, I knew that, that it would send me into a direction that's a little bit uncomfortable, into turbulent waters. It's one of those moments again where my amazing wife Kim will look at me and say, you sound way too Buddhist. And I push back and I say, you sound way too Western. See, I think one of the dilemmas is that tonight I need to violate your view of reality. Especially if you're here and you're a person who would identify yourself as a Christian. I think one of the most difficult things in the world is to help a Christian unwrap beliefs they have that are actually not biblical. One of the most challenging things in the world is to peel away at tradition so that we can actually get to truth. And it's not always about a belief as much as it is a reality. When I look at the scriptures, I'm struck how, how Jesus was not American. He was not European. He was not Western. And he communicates and unwraps a view of reality that has been retranslated by us to fit our view of the world and our view of reality. And sometimes what happens in this is that we end up doing a disservice to the teachings of Jesus and it becomes superficial rather than substantive, shallow rather than deep. Have you ever had your view of reality absolutely violated in a moment? That happened for me in the strangest moment. I was driving through West Hollywood on sunset, coming back this way, and the traffic was terrible. That's one of the things I love about Coachella. <laughs> There's no one here. It's easy to get anywhere right now. Enjoy the city. The streets are ours. But that was not a Coachella day. That was an LA day, and the streets were packed, and I was stuck in traffic. Have, have you ever been so angry because of all the people that are getting in your way while you're driving? You know, all of them, the people who make up traffic. And then I saw this sign, somebody put it up, some insurrectionist, somebody who used their space to violate my view of myself and the world, and I read it, it said, you are not stuck in traffic, you are the traffic. And it took me a moment, I felt arrested, I felt judged and condemned, exposed. Not me, I'm not the traffic. They're the traffic. I'm stuck in traffic. And then I had this moment of overwhelming self-awareness. I am they, and they are me. 
and we are the problem. Isn't it odd how easy it is for us as humans to disconnect ourselves from the reality that we're in? It's like, I'm from a city and I move from cities to cities to cities. My wife, Kim, is from the mountains of North Carolina from a little farm where they drink the water as it comes out of the ground. (laughs) They grow their food. It's a very different world. And she's always upset with me because we're always in a city. And she's, are we always going to live in the city? And I have a hard time answering that question. And so every once in a while, I'll just take her away. Because she, keep, she keeps saying to me, I need to get back to nature. I need to go get out in nature. I need to be refreshed by nature. Have you ever felt that way? You got to get to the mountains. You got to get to the ocean. You got to get to the woods. You have to get out to nature. As if you're not in nature. Now I want you to understand, you cannot go out to nature because you can't get out of nature because you are nature. I don't think there are ants in a colony going, I just need to get out of the colony for a while. Just got to go do me. I don't think there are any honeybees having a crisis going, we're stuck in this comb. Going to the queen bee. Are you ever going to let us out to go back out into nature? I think honeybees have a sense that they are exactly where they're supposed to be. Never questioning their existence. We're the only species that actually thinks we're outside of nature. We actually think we create create things that are unnatural. Cities are not nature. I told my wife, if there's no God, it's all nature. And cities are just our honeycombs. Cities are our colonies. Concrete is just our medium to create the nature we create. Even termites. You would think termites would one day find some sense of social responsibility. (laughs) We should not eat this tree. This tree is 500 years old. This tree is irreplaceable. Let's find another tree, A, a more Expendable tree. Termites never have to consider their ethics. Tree, eat. <laughs> Destroy. Consume. And we never, we never impose on that termite any sense of morality. It's just a termite. But things humans do, we go, well, humans shouldn't do that. That way we talk about global warming and, and, and climate change. And, and we can see that we pollute oceans and pollute the atmosphere, we can see that we have an effect on creation around us, but we think it's unnatural because we think we're outside of nature. What causes that? Even this idea of of creation, we study the universe, it's called science. We study creation as if we're outside of creation. But you see, you're not in traffic, you are the traffic. You're not in nature, you're part of nature. You're not just in creation, you are a part of creation. I mean, think about it just for a minute, the things that you consider other are a part of you. You walk on the ground, but you're made of the ground. You drink the water, but you are water. You breathe the air, but you are the air. Everything you consider the material of creation, even light, is inside of you. You are just a highly complex, extraordinary expression 
of earth. Hmm. So how do we get this sense of disconnection? Why, why is it that, that we never see ourselves as a part, but always a part, a part of the whole? It's, I'm convinced, a reflection of our disconnection from God and our disconnection from each other. That we've come to conclude because of our life experience as humans that we were never intended to be one with the whole. I mean, after all, if, if you've lived your life without God, it's hard to convince you that you're created to be one with God. And, and then we try to find other points of connection, but if you tried enough and enough and enough to love and to have intimacy, you begin to believe you're not even supposed to be one with others. So why? And then sometimes our last resort is, I'm gonna be one with nature. Have you ever noticed that people who give up on people choose trees? It's because inside of you, there's a longing to reconnect, but you don't know how to reconnect because you do not know what you're supposed to be connected to. So I wanna go back. The Shema is the most important declaration of the Hebrew mind and heart. In Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through six, it says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Why would this be the most important tenet in the Hebraic understanding of God in reality? The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. He goes on to describe that if you fulfill the promise of this tenant, your life will go well, you will be prosperous, and good will come out of your life. But it all begins with this declaration, the Lord is one. You have to realize that the backdrop of this moment is that no one actually wanted just one God. It's not helpful to have only one God. You have a lot of problems. You need a lot of gods. There are a lot of things going on in your life. You can't expect one God to actually help you out with all of them and to be available for every issue so you have a God of war and a God of love. And each one specializes. Every God is a specialist. You have a God that, that will handle your, your, your relationships and a God that will take care of your destiny and you have all these different gods and especially, especially if you're gonna go to war. You wanna make sure you can line up all the gods on your behalf. So you need hundreds of gods to go against, well, someone who's deficiently connected to only one God. Can you imagine going to war when one army has hundreds of gods on their side and the other army says, well, we just have one God. Because this one God says that this is the way it's supposed to be. That there were never supposed to be all these different gods. That you've actually created all these gods in the images of your fears. But I'm the one God because I'm the integrated God. I'm the God who creates everything in relationship. I created everything to be interconnected and you've violated that relationship so everything is disconnected. So you've created all these different gods for all the brokenness in your life. But there's just one Lord. And, and even 
even that concept, it, 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 it unwraps in such a complex way. We understand that there is one God who expresses himself in three ways, as Father, Son, and Spirit. So it's one God in three persons. That's, that's a really complex idea. Except when you work from this unique trilogy in the scriptures. Whenever God talks about one, he moves and begins immediately to talk about love. And then the moment he starts talking about love, he moves and begins to talk about good. See, God connects these three concepts together. It's like its own trinity. God says, everything is to be one. I am one God. And everything is an expression of who I am. Everything that is created was created out of relationship. And the motive, the intention of all my creation is love. So when everything is properly connected to God, then the motive becomes love. And the moment you disconnect from that one, the motives change. But when you have this one God and you are connected to him, then you're connected to this God who is love. And when you're connected to love and fueled by love, everything that comes out of your life is good. It's, it's interwoven all the way through the scriptures, all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter two, verse 24, talking about the first man and the first woman. This is what it says. That is why a man leaves his father and mother, which is an interesting concept since Adam and Eve did not have a father and mother. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Why would this concept be so important here? The idea that two human beings would come together with such intimacy and love that they would be identified, that they would experience reality as one. I have so many thoughts on, on creation. In fact, when I wrote this code, the warrior becomes one with all things. We were near the end of the book and the book was a little long and they're trying to cut it down to the right size. And so they sent me a huge section and said, I think we could just cut all of this out so that you can have a shorter chapter because it's a really long chapter. That's so much I wanted to say. And I was pressing really hard, so I just went ahead and cut out the whole section. And in the middle of that section was a section I would have never cut out. But I know why they cut it out, because it was really controversial. They cut it out because they want people who already believe in certain things to buy my book. And if I write something this provocative, they might not buy my book just for this one section. And so when I realized it wasn't in there, I was so upset, I contacted them and tried to get it back in, but it had already gone to print. But I'm gonna tell you what they took out. You see, I'm convinced that, that before we broke our relationship with God, before we severed our relationship with God, see, before that happened, we were one with God. And it says that we were one with each other, that the man and the woman were one. And they had been given responsibility over all creation. And it says that they were given authority over the birds in the air and the fish in the sea and the animals that walk on the ground. And then there's this one particular moment that I think is really important. It's when Eve, the woman, is having a conversation with a snake. Now, I think having a conversation with a snake is kind of unusual. But what really strikes me as odd is she didn't think it was unusual. See, if a snake started talking to me, 
I would go, ah, something like that. How about you? I would not just have a, ca a casual conversation with a snake. So how you doing, snake? How's it going today? See, what I note in this particular narrative is that she wasn't surprised that she understood what the snake was saying. So I think there are certain dynamics before the fall that were simply expressions of being human. I think a lot of our mythologies, like Aquaman and Atlantis and Submariner, that they're a reminder to us because you see, we had dominion over the birds in the air and the fish of the sea, but you can't have dominion over a place that you cannot go. So I actually think before the fall, humans could actually breathe underwater and that these mythologies are our latent memories of who we were. I think, <clears throat> say with me. I think that the mythology is like Superman who came from another world called Krypton that was destroyed is a shadowing of paradise lost and how Superman could fly because there was a time we could have dominion over the birds in the air. But now we're landlocked and we're not even very good at taking care of the animals that walk on the ground. I think that before the fall, see the, the, even concepts like telepathy, where do we get these concepts like telepathy? See, I think before the fall there was no language. Because language is our way of hiding ourselves and revealing what we want to reveal and concealing what we want to conceal. See, I think before the fall, we were naked and unashamed, and so there was no need for words because we communicated purely and perfectly. And so Adam and Eve had nothing hidden from each other. That's what it meant to be shameless. Can you imagine your every thought being known? No! The internet's bad enough. Imagine if they just plugged in your brain and everything you thought was exposed to the world. Imagine if every single thought and motive inside of you was completely exposed and you were shameless because it was all pure, driven by love with good as your ultimate intention. See, I, I, I think that before the fall, there was a connectedness to creation. And it did not surprise her to be able to understand what a snake was thinking or saying. I know that's crazy. That's why they took it out of the book. <laughs> Even Flash. <laughs> by the way, long before, long before Stanley Long before Marvel and DC, Elijah picked up his coat, his coat and began running at hyperspeed and beat a chariot to where they were going. Maybe these are glimpses, glimpses of who we were. Well, I don't know who we were, but I do know who we are. It's interesting that Jesus, he said a lot of things and some of them seemed to be to be more provocative than other things, but there was only one thing that Jesus said that instantly moved those listening to want to kill him. It says, in fact, they picked up their stones and decided to assassinate him. In John 10, 30, Jesus says this really provocative thing. I and the Father are one. 
How in the world is that the declaration that sealed Jesus' fate? How is it possible that Jesus making this declaration, I and the Father am one, could create such vitriol, such hatred, such violence that it would drive him to the cross? See, if Jesus had just said he was a prophet, they would have accepted him in a long line of esoteric and eccentric prophets. If Jesus had just stayed on being a good teacher, a motivational speaker, he had some great lines, you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Who's not inspired? No one was gonna crucify him for that. If Jesus had just remained a healer, people would have applauded him and celebrated him. Even if Jesus had continued to be the spectacular miracle after miracle, they would have followed him in droves. But the moment Jesus said, I and the Father are one, they wanted to kill him. It's almost as if this idea of becoming one with God was the greatest threat to their commitment to keeping the world divided. The warrior becomes one with all things. And Jesus stood in that moment one with the Father. And then he prayed for us in John 17. Listen to what he says in verse 11 as he prays and talks to his father. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. Here it is, so that they may be one as we are one. Now, I, I don't know what your understanding is of why Jesus stepped into human history. By the way, talk about being the traffic, not in the traffic. Talk about being nature, not just in nature, or creation, not just in creation. Imagine the creator of the universe stepping into his creation. God, who is spirit and uncontainable, takes on flesh and blood and walks among us. Talk about a complete contradiction of reality. And Jesus prays that we would be one, even as he and the Father are one. This is Jesus' prayer for you. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know what your, your record is of how many prayers you have fulfilled. I don't know how many yeses you get, but I get a feeling, I get a sense that when Jesus prays, his prayers have power. Because he's, his prayer is in alignment with the mind of God. And Jesus prays that you would be one with God in the same way that he is one with God. That you would rediscover the connectedness that you were created for. Because the creator of the universe created you for a relationship with him. So that they may be one as we are one. I know, I know, I know, I know. It sounds like Buddha. But that's not Buddha. That's not Yoda. That's Jesus. But you see, the mindset of the Western world is so individualistic that it becomes almost a violation of our belief system that we could become one with God. To live in such intimate communion with the creator of the universe that he is as real to us his breathing. His prayer is more expansive than that. I'll pick up in verse 20. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. 
I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. He's praying for us. Think about that. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was praying for you. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Here it is. This is Jesus 2,000 years ago praying for you right now. That all of them may be one. This must be significant. It has to be primal that Jesus' principal prayer is that we would become one. He says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, I don't even understand the full implication of this, but I know what Jesus is saying is in the same way he's in the Father and the Father is in him. He longs and prays for us to have that kind of communion with the creator of the universe. And he explains how essential it is. He goes, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So our level of connectedness to God the level at which we discover how to be one will become the proof that Jesus is God among us. Because I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. How many times does Jesus have to say that before we get it? I and them and you and me, that they may be brought to complete unity. This is what happens when we become one. We come to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Have you ever noticed that what we would consider to be lesser species cooperate easier than we do? There's this, this, this particular species of bird called starlings. And when they fly together, they fly in these incredibly intricate and complex patterns. And there, there doesn't seem to be a leader, but they all know how to move in concert to each other. Their instincts work better than our intuition. They live in such interconnectedness that the many become one. This is true even for fish. Are these what, mackerel? They, they, they swim together in such intimate patterns. Sardines, sardines travel together in such complexity, never bumping into each other, never running into each other. Have you ever noticed we can't even do the wave? I mean, I've been to games, hey, everyone, section three, section four. It's like, huh. <laughs> not doing it, not doing it. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that we don't even know how to coexist? I have such, so many friends who are just devastated by the assassination of Nipsey Hussle. You, know, you don't get to choose where you're born. You do not get to choose the environment in which you spent your childhood. You do not get to choose the circumstances from which you have to emerge. And what's extraordinary to me is that 
Here was a person who grew up with so much warring against him. And he decides to try to go back and make a difference. To make the world where he came from better than it was. And then someone in his own world kills him. What is it about us? Birds can fly in concert. Fish can swim in harmony. And humans can't even keep from killing each other. There's something broken in us. Because you see, this concept of one may be too big for us, but the concept of divided is too clear to us. There's an internal and external reality happening here. One is external. The scriptures tell us that we are so interconnected to creation that our choices affect the created order. That, that, that's, that sounds like magic, doesn't it? That, that one human being's choice could affect the entire cosmos. But this is what Romans 8 tells us. Listen to these words beating in verse 19. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. What it's actually saying is creation is waiting for us to become one again. So that creation can become one again. It says, for the creation was subjected to frustration. Creation is frustrated right now. Why? Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who was subjected to it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. What the scripture is telling us, it's personifying creation, saying creation is angry, it's frustrated, because it knows it has lost its, its intention, not by anything it did, but what we did to creation. He goes on to say, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. I know this sounds crazy. It sounds like, 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 like superstition or mythology. But what the Bible actually teaches, what the scriptures teach us, is this one act of defiance against God, this one act of choosing to sever our relationship with God, that moment that Adam and Eve chose from the tree that was forbidden to them. It says that the entire universe went into decay and went into chaos and the universe has been groaning ever since for us to make things right. I know that sounds crazy, but when I was doing my studies on quantum mechanics, watching Jurassic Park, <laughs> there's a lot you can learn from Jeff Goldberg or Bloom. And I remember when Jeff was explaining that, I think he said that a butterfly can flap its wings in the Amazon and it can result in an avalanche in Antarctica. That's quantum mechanics. That's complexity theory summarized in Jurassic Park. <laughs> and what science is telling us is that it's exactly right. That seemingly disconnected choices can have catastrophic impact in some place it seems to be completely disconnected from. You've heard it. You've heard it if you have an alcoholic father. You've heard it if you have a brother or sister who's addicted to some kind of substance or drugs. You've heard it if you have someone in your family who's addicted to gambling. I'm not hurting anyone but myself. 
Some of you heard it way too many times. Some of you, maybe you've said it. It's my life. I'm not hurting anyone but myself, but I need you to understand something. There is no choice you will ever make that only hurts you. Because you know the very person who told you, I'm not hurting anyone but myself, was the one hurting you in that moment. So whether we like it or not, human beings are created to be interconnected. And the choices we make have an impact, not just on our lives, but on every life that's in proximity to us and even lives we do not even know will exist yet. It tells us that generations later will be impacted by the choices made. Some of you are still carrying the baggage of your great-grandfather. Some of you are still carrying the damage of your grandparents or your mother and father. Some of you are carrying the damage started generations ago and have passed on alcoholism from generation to generation to generation, have passed on violence from generation to generation to generation. Who would have ever imagined they could affect generations to come by the choices they made in their complete self-indulgence? Because you're interconnected. But if our choices can hurt each other, then our choices can also heal each other. And I don't know what your positions are on global warming and climate change, and, but it doesn't take a scientist to look at the water and see that we pollute it or the air to see that we've absolutely corrupted it. We don't need to look around too far to know that species are in danger because of choices we've made. And if you think this is just some kind of new approach at looking at the environment, you need to go back to the scriptures because the scriptures tell us that creation is our stewardship and our choices impact not just ourselves and others, but everything in the created order. It actually tells us in the scriptures that the that nature is in turmoil because our souls are in turmoil. And so tsunamis and earthquakes and hurricanes and I, I, it just breaks my heart when people attribute that to the wrath of God. That's not the wrath of God. You need to read the Bible if you think that. <laughs> See, what the Bible actually says is that all the wrath of God was placed on Jesus. All God has for you is love. And everywhere where there should be wrath, he put it on Jesus. So it would never touch us. The reason nature is in chaos is because we were given responsibility over creation. And creation is a reflection of our inner world. If everything looked perfect, if creation was in perfect order, we would convince ourselves that we were doing just fine. But creation is an echo of the soul. And in Galatians 3, it gives us an ideal. Verse 26 down, it says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Listen to this. This is 2,000 years ago. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
This, this is a concept that violated every view of reality 2,000 years ago, and even some of the views that people have today. It's amazing to me. When I was born, a woman could not play at Augusta until just the last couple of years. And before that, just a decade or so ago, anyone of African descent could not play in the Masters. And what's amazing to me is that we stand here today where when I was born, only white men could play because we find a way to divide between us and them. We find ways of keeping people like us in and keeping everyone that's not like us out. We would not have a Tiger Woods winning the Masters if we held to the views that some people try to perpetuate. What is it about us humans? We keep wanting to divide each other between us and them. Well, you find any reason to do it. Black, white, Japanese, Chinese, Protestant, Catholic in Ireland. I, I'm a McManus by alias. My wife is a McMahon. We went to Ireland, they said, you're safe here, you're not. Go across that line, you're safe here, you're not. I didn't know there was a difference between McMahon and McManus, but they do, because we're so good at drawing lines of hate. When will we finally look at ourselves and realize there's something broken in us, and that brokenness is evidenced in our division? that we find every reason, male, female, right, left, blue, red. We find every reason to divide between each other rather than to bring each other together. One of the things that Jesus came to do was not simply to reconnect us to God, but to reconnect us to each other. Jesus came to make us one with God and to make us one with each other once again. How is it that there can be seven billion people on this planet? And all of us feel so deeply, profoundly alone. The disconnection is real. It's deep. It's tearing at all of us. It's leaving us broken. Because you were never created to live in isolation. See, a lot of us are trying to find wholeness without the whole. But I can only find wholeness when I choose to live in relationship. See, we become one when we give ourselves to God. It's so strange. It's like, it's, it's, it's different. It's almost like a, a zero sum proposition where you're going, God, I'm giving you everything. And then we become whole. We become one when we become connected to each other. We finally find our intention when we give our lives away rather than hold on to our lives. And there's this beautiful relationship between becoming one with all things and living your life with love as your singular motive and then measuring your life by the outcome of good that you do. The one connects you to love and the love unleashes the good. I have a garage full of Christmas lights that do not work. <laughs> Anybody else? I can't, I can't throw them away because some of those strings, like 20% still works. 
30%. And so I, 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 I wrap the, the part that works around where everyone can see and put all the ones that are dark in the back because we don't really care if people can't see our darkness. And then we just shine the little bit of light we have and hide the other. And what drives me crazy is I know that that entire string of lights are the subjects to one light that will not cooperate. So I used to go one light by one light by one light by one light by one light. Ever done that? I'm going to find that one miserable light that's taking the light away from all the other lights. And you know, that's what happens. It's amazing because we're interconnected how one person who refuses to find their light can bring so much darkness to the world. But it's Jesus who's that one light that replaces the light that will not work, that turns all the other lights on. So in Romans 8, 28, God promises this. He says, we know that in all things, God works for good to those who love him, those whom he has called according to his purpose, to his intention. You are created by the creator of the universe to live in creation, to be his creation, and to rule over creation and to be connected in relationship to the creator. Everything God does is motivated by love. The entire unifying principle of the universe is love. And that's why no matter how much we discover in science or quantum mechanics or string theory or complexity theory or whatever else is out there, we keep discovering that the entire universe is interconnected in such a complex and beautiful relationship that's beyond comprehension. Every cell in your body has all the information it needs to be any part of you, but it completely cooperates to create you uniquely. It seems that the only thing that does not cooperate are humans learning that we're created by love, for love, to love. That every action and intention of our life should be to do good. And we'll only step into that good and know the power of that love when we stand and become one with all things. Jesus prayed for you that you would become one with him even as he is one with God. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he understood that he had to come into human history. He had to allow himself to be brutalized, to be crucified. That when his body was broken, he would become our healing. When we tore him to pieces, he would make us whole again. The God who is one walked among us and there's only one who can heal you and make you whole. Would you bow your head to me just for a moment? Just close your eyes. Maybe you're here and you know how broken you are. You may look so good on the outside, but there are pieces that are just missing in your soul. You've tried everything to try to fix that massive chasm in your soul. 
but that black hole just keeps expanding and consuming everything, consuming your hope, consuming your joy, consuming your love, consuming your strength. It's because you were never supposed to be a light disconnected from the source. And Jesus, Jesus died so that you would love. He gave his life so that you could receive that life. And right now, I want to invite you to cross the line of faith and give your life to Jesus. Because when you give your life to Jesus, you receive the life that Jesus gives freely. So I want to lead you in a simple prayer where you can make the greatest exchange of your life and receive the life that Jesus died for you to have. It's just a simple prayer, just one sentence. Jesus, I give you my life. But if you pray this prayer, and it comes from the depth of your soul, God will hear you. And the God who created you will come to dwell within you. And he will dwell in you. And you will dwell in him. And you will live in communion with the creator of the universe. Would you pray this with me right now? Jesus, I give you my life. Right now, just tell him, Jesus, I give you my life. See, it all begins with a relationship because God's a God of relationship. It all begins with sacrifice because God is motivated by love. Right now, just tell him, Jesus, I give you my life. Just tell him, Jesus, I give you my life. Let this be the beginning of life in you. If this is your prayer, if you've just asked God to come to dwell in you, to give you a new life, if you've just received his forgiveness and his freedom, if you just pray, Jesus, I give you my life, I want you right now just to hold your hand up high. Don't be apprehensive. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be hesitant. Right now, just hold your hand up high and say, yes, I just gave my life to Jesus. I want to pray for you. Anyone else right now? Jesus, I give you my life. Beautiful. Anyone else? All around the room. Father, I thank you for the women and men in this moment who've crossed that line of faith and have given their lives to you. God, we bring you the pieces and you make us whole. We give you ourselves and our brokenness and you bring the healing that our souls have always longed for. You fill the empty spaces of our soul with your light and your love and your life. And God, I pray that there'd be an eruption in this room, that as they become one with you, that their life would be overwhelmed by love. That God, that good would just naturally come out of their life. That good would just flow out of them. And God, I thank you that you came to reconnect us to yourself. For you are our source of hope and joy and love and freedom and life. We thank you, Father. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just thank God for all those who just responded to him right now? So good. So good.
Hey guys, one simple way to apply this in a practical way. It is impossible to choose violence when you think of someone as us. We use the language of us and them to let us know where we're justified to be our worst selves. We always stand for us and stand against them. We fight for us and fight against them. And I wanna challenge you, no matter who decides to make you them, you make everyone us. Let's be a people that unite humanity far before they ever choose to be united with us. And that means no excuses, no barriers, no walls, no lines. We celebrate the differences. We don't use the differences to isolate. So this week, the people that have been on the other side of the line for you, them, you make them us. You make them us by loving them. You make them us by serving them. You make them us by believing in them. And I just wanna be real clear. No more us by color. No more us by race. No more us by economic divide. We have to make them a thing of the past make us the language of the future. And by the way, if you're a follower of Jesus, there is no them because they're Muslims or them because they're Buddhist or them because they're atheists. They're all us. They are all us because we are here to bring the world together. People do not have to agree with us for us to be for them. Let's, let's put an end to the arrogance of judgment, the arrogance of condemnation, the narcissism that we're right and you're wrong. By the way, if you're right, time will prove you right. If you found life, you don't have to condemn people for struggling through their existence. Love people, serve them, let's create a new way. God bless. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received, allow it to go deeply into your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only He can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.